morning. Good to see you this morning. You all know, floated the idea to a couple of our elders that when you raise your hand, if you need the communion elements, that I could just come up here and throw them to you. But they didn't seem to be interested in that idea, so I guess we'll keep doing it the normal way. I, I'm not big on doing announcements. I figure we have somebody that does that. But I do want to make this announcement before I get started. Those of you who have loved ones or friends that stay at home and watch the service uh, on our KTAB program at 10 o'clock, that will not air next Sunday morning. So if you could help us get the word out, next Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Life in the Light will not air. Reason why? There's an NFL football game, and uh, it's rare that we get bumped, but we are getting bumped. They actually gave us some options to air it at another time. Those times were not uh, times that I think that uh, would be profitable for us. So um, next Sunday, no Life in the Light. Um, it's interesting, my daughter is in London, she's studying abroad, and she has tickets to go watch that game. She doesn't know anything about football, but she's going to watch the game, and she said, uh, uh, are the teams any good? I said, no, no, you're not going to see a good team. I think you would get more out of life in the light than you would the Dolphins versus the Jaguars, but maybe not. So we're finishing up our series on prayer, and we're connecting my love of coffee with my love for prayer. Do you know what the five boldest coffees in the world are according to a website called home grounds these are the five boldest coffees on the market death wish coffee which has 728 milligrams of caffeine per 12 ounce mug now according to the food and drug administration the daily limit for safe caffeine consumption is 400 milligrams I can tell you JD consumes more than that easily in a day. Secondly, black insomnia coffee touts 702 milligrams per 12-ounce mug. You have the Killer Coffee Company, which contains 645 milligrams of caffeine per 12-ounce mug. Band Coffee is a regular medium roast coffee that is said to be strong and high quality. It contains 474 milligrams per 12-ounce mug, but then the boldest of all is this one, Biohazard Coffee. Caffeine Informer recently lab-tested a sample of Biohazard Coffee and found that it contains 928 milligrams of caffeine per 12-ounce mug. That's more than double the daily limit in just one serving. Biohazard promises to, and I quote, leave you feeling invincible, Obtain nonstop productivity, enjoy sleepless nights, partake in all-nighter study sessions, and become unstoppable. So starting next Sunday, we will have Biohazard Coffee available in the lobby for those of you who have a tendency to fall asleep. It's kind of like the, uh, the man that was visiting with the church, and, and he noticed that the church always served coffee after services. And he asked a little boy, that had been there regularly, he said, uh, hey, why do, why do they serve coffee after church? And the boy said, well, that's simple, so that people can wake up for the drive home. <laughs> I'm not so concerned about you being awake for the drive home as I am for you being awake during the sermon. Most of you do a, a good job of that anyway. I've mentioned before that I like my coffee strong, black, the more bitter, the better. I don't want anything added to it. But the very fact that there are coffees on the market called Death Wish, and banned, and, and uh, uh, what was that other one, Biohazard Coffee, the very fact that there are coffees with that name shows you 
that you can have too much of a good thing, right? And I think prayer can fall under that heading as well. Believe it or not, I think you can have too much of a good thing when it comes to prayer. Now, I am not by any means discounting or discrediting everything that I've said up to this point. I do understand what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. I recall Paul telling the Roman Christians to be devoted to prayer. That word devoted in the Greek is the word proskartereo, and it means uh, being steadfastly continuing in a thing. To be steadfast, it means to give unremitting care to or to persist at or remain with. In connection with people, it means to be loyal to. And I also acknowledge that this same Paul talked to the Colossians about being devoted to prayer. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, he says, Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That phrase, without ceasing, doesn't mean uninterrupted. It means that which is constantly recurring. In other words, prayer is to be something that occurs over and over again. It is to be habitual, like brushing your teeth, like showering or shaving. There are certain things that we do regularly out of habit. I got to tell this story, and he's not here, so he didn't have to know about it. When Blake Dozier was our fearless youth minister, he came in one morning to work, and he had a splotch on his jacket of something, and I asked him what it was, and he, he didn't know it was there. He looked down, and he looked confused. I said, it kind of looks like toothpaste. He said, yeah, it's not toothpaste because I didn't brush my teeth. (laughs) I don't know what it was. Most of us do some things habitually like brushing our teeth. Not all of us, but most of us, right? So we understand habits and routines and rituals. But there does come a time when we have to get off of our knees and stop praying and start doing. For instance, let's say you smell smoke in your house. So you go into the kitchen and you find that your kitchen is on fire. What's the first thing you're going to do? Hit your knees and pray? You're probably going to call the fire department, right? That's probably going to be the first thing you do. What if you're looking out your window and you see a toddler playing in the street? Are you going to pray in that moment? You're probably going to do whatever you need to do to get the toddler to safety, right? And there's a lot of things like that where maybe our first instinct is not to pray because that's not the most profitable thing in the moment. The most profitable thing in the moment, the best thing to do in that moment is to actually act. Do you pray? And if you know of someone who is shivering, who is cold, who might need a coat, do you say, I will pray for you? Or do you do everything you can to meet that need? There's a time to pray and there's a time to act. How many times have you visited with someone and you heard about a need that they had and you said, well, I'll be praying for you? You may have never had any intention to pray for them. It's just something you say, right? Or maybe you did intend to and you just, you know, you forgot to or whatever. But did you have the resources to meet the need? And if you did, that would have been more important in the moment, right? Instead of praying for them. So there's a time to pray and there's a time to act. Notice uh, Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 12, it says, a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very time I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
Ananias says, why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Get up, stop praying, and start doing. The time for praying was over. Saul needed to get up and take action by being baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. You see in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15, God says these words to Moses. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Quit praying and get up and move. The time for praying is over. It's time to start doing something. Another example of this can be found in Numbers chapter 22. In verses 8 through 12, Balaam sought God's advice, but he didn't like God's answer. So he continued to pray and pray some more. And in Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 19, it says, Now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. Again, God says, rise up and go. There was a time to pray and there was a time to move. The same is true for us. Many prayers that we have prayed have been answered by God. And yet we still refuse to get up and move. We've got to take action at some point. We've got to go and we've got to grasp what it is that we've been praying for and the answer to that prayer. Don't allow prayer to be an excuse or a substitute. Prayer is a good thing. But prayer, not coupled with action, is not a good thing. So pray, but then act. I believe it was Charles Hodge who said, Pray as if everything depends on God, but work as if everything depends on you. That's the balance that we're trying to strike here. Pray as if everything depends on God, because it does. But then work diligently as if it depends on you. There are some things that you pray for because you have absolutely no way to meet the need yourself. None. No amount of working or getting up and doing is going to help because you can't meet the need on your own. But we also can't use prayer as an excuse or a substitute for action. So I did want to make that point before we go further so that we made sure that we knew that this is not something that absolves us from action. Prayer is partnering with God, which means that we don't stay on our knees, that after we bow, we rise up. Now, we're looking at boldness this morning, and boldness is born out of belief. I want you to look with me at what John writes in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. He writes, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So what grounds do we have to come before an almighty God? What bold grounds do we have to come before him? I want you to notice again John's words. This is the confidence. Your version may substitute confidence with boldness. This is the boldness which we have before him. Why can we pray with confidence or boldness? Because we trust the one that we're in relationship with, right? We are heavily invested in a relationship with a holy God, and we understand that that's a really good investment, right? That's the best investment that we can make. Because anything that God says, we can take to the bank. And God has said we can trust him. He has proven that we can trust him. And so therefore, when we pray for his will to be done, we can have all the confidence in the world that that prayer is going to be answered, that he hears us. But here's a very important point that we cannot afford to miss when it comes to prayer. Probably the most important point, and it's this. Prayer is not just a ritual. It's a relationship. It's what prayer is. Do you trust the God that you're praying to? Do you have a relationship with that God? 
Do you really believe that God hears you, that he answers you, and that whatever his answer is, it's best? Is God merely a lifeline, or is he your life? Is prayer merely a lifeline, or is prayer your life? By and large, our prayers are too small and too safe. I mean, I think we could all admit that, right? Maybe not all of us, but virtually all of us, our prayers are too small and too safe. Dear God, please bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. This greasy, fatty cheeseburger. I know you can do miracles, God. Make this cheeseburger healthy for me, right? Our prayers are too tame. Help me get that job. Give me comfort, God. Bless our land. Bless our government. Bless me, God. And, and look, there's nothing wrong with those prayers in and of themselves. But our prayer life has to go deeper. You know, we find a, a rather obscure character in the book of First Chronicles by the name of Jabez. Listen to his prayer. Oh, that you would greatly bless me and extend my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that I would not hurt me. That's the prayer we all want, right? I mean, that's it. Bless me, enlarge my territory, be with me, keep me from harm, keep me from pain. And evidently, Jabez's prayer wasn't wrong because God answered it. So it's not wrong to pray for those things. It's not wrong to pray those personal prayers, but it's certainly a safe prayer. And I think we can, we can rightly say that our prayer life should go deeper than that. Remember in uh, James chapter 5, last week we talked about what James said about the effective prayer of a righteous man. He said, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. We mentioned this last week that James uses perhaps Israel's greatest non-literary prophet as his example of a righteous man, a man like any of us, who prayed a prayer that God heard and God answered. Because he prayed in faith, he prayed with boldness. And his prayer is very different than many of the prayers that we pray. This goes back to Deuteronomy where God promised that he would bring rain for the crops and, and, and it would produce bountiful blessings for them if they were obedient. But if they were not faithful in their obedience, God would withhold the rain and everything that would come with that, like famine and drought, would occur. And so Elijah looks around him and he sees the immorality and the injustice in the world. And instead of standing up and saying, God, bless our nation, Elijah says, God, judge us. Bring forth your wrath. You know, we often pray for national comfort, and I get it. I mean, we should pray for that. But Elijah prays that God do something about the disobedience of his people. God, rain down your judgment. Stop it from raining so that our people will wake up and maybe come into compliance. That's not a safe prayer. That's a bold prayer. That's a dangerous prayer. Elijah's boldness was a behavior that was born out of belief. What we believe determines how we behave. What you believe about God says everything about you. 
And what you believe determines how you will behave. If you believe that the Lord God is leading you, empowering you, and equipping you, then you're going to behave boldly. Boldness is going to be a big part of your behavior because boldness is born out of belief. You won't play it safe. Your faith won't be too tame. And your relationship with a bold God will drive bold confidence. It's okay to pray safe prayers. That's fine. Go ahead and pray for God to keep you safe, to protect you, to sustain you, to bless you. But don't stop there. Pray also that God will grow you. Pray that he will transform you, that he will give you an unshakable faith and be ready for him to answer those prayers in a way that is anything but comfortable and safe. I've told you before that when I was coaching, I would often speak to the team before a game and and, And right before we'd go out and take the floor, I'd ask them to, one of them to lead a prayer. And quite often that prayer would include, God help us to win this game. Now, at the school where I coached, the dressing room was cinder block walls. And there was a cinder block wall separating our dressing room from the visitor's dressing room. No door, just an opening, cinder block wall. So obviously you could hear everything that was going on in the locker room next to you. So you try to speak quietly when you're talking strategy and things like that. So we had a prayer. We were about to leave the dressing room. And I could hear the coach asking his players if one of them wanted to lead a prayer. That's a great thing, right? I mean, both teams are praying. And you know what the young man prayed for? Couldn't help but hear it because there was no door in the dressing room. You know what he prayed for? God help us win this game. So we go out to take the floor, and I go over and shake hands with the opposing coach. As is customary, we exchange pleasantries, and I said, we're going to find out who God loves more tonight. And he kind of looked at me funny. And I said, well, I mean, you guys prayed that God help you win. Our guys prayed that God help us win. We're going to find out who God loves more, right? I was so thankful that his team was praying, that our team was praying, but it, it gave me an opportunity to go back later and, and address it and say, look, I, I, I don't think God cares you know, how, whether we win the game or not. I mean, if that were the case, then Harding would be undefeated every year, right? Because surely God would root for Harding. Prayer's a great thing. But go bigger. Go deeper. Be, be bolder in your prayer life. And with that being said, here are three bold, dangerous prayers that I think we should all include in our daily prayer life. Here they are. Search me break me, and send me. These are certainly dangerous prayers, bold prayers that will change our prayer life and ultimately change us. So let's go deeper. Let's be bolder in our prayers. Look at the first one with me. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David says, search me. Now, God already knows David. God knows every sin that resides in the deep, dark recesses and crevices of your heart and soul. But David is inviting God in. Search me. Find anything in me that is unclean and remove it because, God, more than anything, I want to be right with you. Like I've said before, it's like calling up the IRS and saying, yeah, could y'all audit me? I'd appreciate it if you'd just make sure that I'm giving you all the money that I should. Nobody does that. You know why? Because you're afraid they'd find something. 
And they probably would. David's not concerned about that. David's not concerned with God finding something. In fact, he wants God to find something. He wants God to clean him up, to make him completely and totally whole. Because David says, clean house, I want to be right in your sight. The second most dangerous prayer is break me. Again, look at David's words. Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. You know, typically when something is broken, it decreases in value. You know, broken dishes, you know, broken mirror, you name it. I mean, anything that is broken typically decreases in value. Not so with people. At least not with God. God values broken humans. Psalm 34 and verse 18 reads, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you want to be made whole, if you want to be put back together, then come broken. Come with a broken heart, a broken spirit, a broken will. Say, God, humble me. Defeat me. Search me, God. Break it. Break my heart of the things that break your heart. Make me clean. Break me, God, so that I can be properly put back together. And here's the last dangerous prayer. Send me. Isaiah 6 and 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Now that's a bold prayer. And you know why? Because there's no qualifier. There's always places that we're unwilling to go. There are always people that we are unwilling to go to. But when you say, send me, you're removing all the qualifiers. No ifs, ands, or buts. God, I am yours. I am completely and totally surrendered. Send me, whether it be Haiti or Somalia or in my own backyard at work, wherever it may be, send me. I am ready to go. I am ready to do your will. I am ready to accomplish your mission because you're in charge. You determine the coordinates. You determine the GPS you're the spiritual guide. I go where you lead. Send me, God. Kevin, I'm going to go off script for just a second. He's back there going, where's this at in the notes? Do we truly believe that God will answer the prayers that we pray? And do we look back on those prayers that we've prayed and see how God answered them? Do we ever go back and thank God for answering those prayers? Or do we just move on? You see, prayer is a great thing. Moving on is a great thing. But don't move on without considering what God has done for you, right? And I think that happens all too often. We pray, God answers the prayer, and we move on to the next thing. Check that off, go on to the next thing on the list. Do you truly believe that God can answer prayer? And when He does, do you go back and thank Him? A lot of times... You don't really see how that prayer is answered till later on. Maybe 10, 15 years down the road, you look back and say, oh yeah, that's, that's what he did. That's how he answered that prayer. Do you believe that God can answer? And how far are you willing to go in your prayer life? Are you willing to be bold? Are you willing to be courageous? Are you willing to be dangerous? This is not in any way to brag, but I can remember vividly about four or five years ago praying for my dad to make the decision to come to Christ. I remember praying that prayer, and I remember that prayer including, God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And you think about the implications of that. 
in my mind, I thought, if it means I have to leave this earth, if it means something happens to me, if it means something has to happen to him to wake him up, whatever it takes, God, please break him so that he sees that he needs to make a change. And you know what happened? He had two heart attacks. Both of them should have killed him. The first one is main artery was 99% clogged. The second one should have taken him out as well, and that's what woke him up. Before he went under the knife to have his chest broken open and to have bypass surgery, he said, Chris, i got to do something. So me and Robert O'Dell hopped in the car. We drove 10 hours to baptize my dad, and we hopped in the car and drove back home. It was the best decision I've ever made. I didn't even have to think about it. You drive 20 hours? Yeah, absolutely I'll do that. I'll do that any day of the week. Baptize my father, and, but that's what it took. Break him, God, whatever it takes. Are you willing to pray that? Whatever it takes, God. You know, there's one more dangerous prayer, and this is the most dangerous prayer that you could pray, even more dangerous than those three. And I want to give it to you this morning. It's this. This is the, bo- the boldest, most dangerous prayer you could pray. God, make me like Jesus. Now, that should be the goal of all of us. We often talk about the goal is to get to heaven. No, the goal is not to get to heaven, folks. The goal is to be like Jesus. If you make that your goal, you're going to get to heaven, right? The goal is to be like Jesus in this life. You pray this prayer and understand that your life won't be safe and comfortable always. Listen to what Paul said, a man who I believe prayed this prayer constantly. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if I somehow may attain to the resurrection from the dead to be like Jesus is going to require some things of you to die to yourself to sacrifice maybe persecuted maybe even losing your life how far are you willing to go are you just content praying this prayer giving lip service to it or are you are you truly willing to accept whatever the answer is Because I guarantee you, you start praying this prayer on a daily basis, your life will not always be comfortable and safe. But is that really what we need anyway? Whatever it takes in this life to make me more like Jesus, bring it on. Whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes to make me more like Jesus, bring it on. That's a bold prayer. That's a dangerous prayer. But it's an effective prayer, isn't it? To be like Jesus now means to be like him and to be with him for eternity. What's better than that? Go deeper in your prayers, be bold, and look for the ways that God is going to answer. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for prayer. We pray that we are a praying church. That this church can can do monumental things in this community. That we can 
we can go out and we can, we can share your word with others, that we can set this place on fire. And we can show others who you are, that we can be the best advertisement for you that we can possibly be. God, help us to be bold in our prayer life and in our daily lives. We love you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Maybe you need the prayers of this church family. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe, uh, maybe you need to get back on track. Maybe you made the decision to be a Christian a long time ago and you veered off track and you need to do a U-turn. God allows U-turns. Maybe you're ready to study the Bible with somebody. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you're ready to begin a daily walk with God. I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but one thing that I will tell, tell you that we say all the time is there is absolutely no reason for you to leave here this morning without being right with God. So do what you need to do and come as we stand and as we sing.